0: Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats. And before we get into today's episode, I need to tell you about our friends at Lauren Zotti Italy. These guys are not only great coffee connoisseurs and entrepreneurs. They're also libertarians. They're also listeners of this show. They are also Patreon supporters of this show. So they are the kind of person that you want to support. So if you are a coffee drinker, please do head over to LaurenZotti.coffee That's LaurenZotti.coffee not .com. Use discount code LIONS at checkout for 10% off your order. And what's great about these guys, they don't just sell coffee. They also help people set up their own coffee shops. They have financing uh, they can rent equipment. They do so much to not only provide coffee for people, but also to help set up other people as entrepreneurs in that same space. What an awesome concept. So please do head over to Lauren Lorenzotti, L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I, Laurenzotti.coffee. And don't forget to use discount code LIONS for 10% off your order. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host. My guest today is an entrepreneur and freedom of information activist. He is the CEO and co-founder of Minds, a free and open source social media network. Very pleased to welcome Bill Ottman. Bill, are you ready to roar? Look what I got behind me. I got a lion. You are very ready to roar. You might be the most ready to roar. Of any <laughs> guess. That's a really cool drawing. There. Yeah. Uh, well, Bill, you know, since it's your first time chatting here with me, uh, I want to get to know you a little bit better before we dive into our discussion today. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background, real brief, uh, how you became an entrepreneur and how did you become so passionate about the topic of freedom of, of information specifically?
1: I love trying to find out what's going on in the world. And I, you know, whether you're talking about tech or, you know, classified information, you know, the full gamut to me, like, or food. I just, I want to know, I want to go to the source of what is going on in, you know, whatever industry or field. So to me, I just feel like the public, generally speaking, isn't being given enough information. And that's both from corporations and governments. Um, And I, I think that transparency just makes the world evolve faster, essentially.
0: What does that really mean? Like freedom of information when it comes to transparency? I mean, a lot of people debate sort of uh, the difference between what sort of information people have a right to see, people have a right to know, uh, particularly when it pertains to governments uh, versus private information that people kind of have the right to protect from others, the right to keep to themselves.
1: Yeah, that's a a good question. I mean, there's sort of a paradox with privacy and, and transparency. I would consider myself sort of you know, hardcore about both. And so I, th- I think that, you know, if you look at something like open source encryption, like the best, most secure, robust end-to-end encryption protocols in the world are actually totally open source. So, you know, that seems funny because it's like, wait a second, the most private, the most privacy protecting protocol in the world is totally open source. The, but, and, and some people will be like, oh, well then, you know, that means that anyone, anyone could ha- hack it no but that, that that's not how that's not how it works with regards to to these types of protocols so I think that when it's th- there's definitely personal information and there's definitely public information and it's really about the individual and what they want to be personal and what they want to be public and providing people with tools to have control over that dissemination.
0: Uh, I think we can look at kind of some of this by what we're what we're seeing right now, uh, particularly when it pertains to reporting on COVID that we've seen in the last few months, and how a lot of social media networks will kind of um, will censor certain topics or uh, they'll shadow ban people. Uh, I know recently there was this video coming around uh, of a bunch of doctors who were out there just talking about hydrochloroquine uh, saying that it works. Uh, I have no particular opinion on a drug of any kind, but I I do start to see I do start to get the the willies a little bit when I see these major tech companies censoring certain topics or censoring certain subjects. Whether or not they're right or wrong is kind of irrelevant to that fact, Uh, but especially when they seem to be coming from an, an actual source a relevant source, credentialed doctors uh, what's your view on on the, the right of companies, the right of social media networks particularly, which is where we seem to be getting most of our information nowadays, the rights that those companies should have uh, before we get to morally whether they should or not, but in, just in terms of their rights to be able to censor content and censor what information is put out there on their platform?
1: Yeah, the the rights actually even gets a little bit hazy because I do believe that a company has the right to curate to a certain degree, but... When you market yourself as a public commons, a place for free free expression, and you have millions and millions of people sign up under that pretense. And, you know, it, it more actually gets into into the territory of false advertising for me, because it's like they they sort of committed to something and then completely changed the contract midway. And okay, yeah, you know you agreed to the terms or whatever, but not really. And um, so I think that inevitably there's, you know, we're, we're already seeing it. I mean, plen- plenty of alternatives like us are, are popping up who stick to the First Amendment more so and just try to stay stay neutral, simultaneously providing people with controls to not see what they don't want to see and obviously report like truly violent content. Or true threats of violence, but uh, yeah, it does give me the willies too. I think that's a that's the right word for it. Right, it's like right. whoa, uh, Yale yell, uh, doctors getting, uh, sure. taken down. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean the, the libertarian in, in me who wants to always stand for property rights and individual rights wants to say, sure, of course, every company should have the right to you know manage the company however they want, um, exclude content if they want, uh, even if I might be opposed to that. But I think one of the big problems with these big te- tech tech companies, uh, particularly, uh, Facebook and Twitter is they're so intertwined with governments. Uh, I mean, Twitter has so much international influence. I know from like China and Saudi Arabia, Uh, whereas, you know, uh, and and Facebook we know is so intertwined with government in so many ways. Is there a line somewhere where you see that, okay, at some point these, we can't even really consider these private companies anymore. Uh, Certainly Mm -hmm. mines would would still qualify. Uh, But what's your take on just the the idea that at some point these companies can't really be treated like private companies, at least in the minds of people who would normally stand for property rights and individual rights?
1: Yeah, uh, it's possible that they've, they've gone beyond that threshold. But, you know, I just see endless hypocrisy in terms of the terms you know their terms have no consistency so there's really no way for anyone to even know what is okay and you know the ironic thing is that yes yeah they have revolving doors with you know the government and you know there's the Prism program and all the surveillance the backdoor surveillance and okay that's all happening but the the odd thing is that actually the it's not like the U.S. government is coming is is going to Facebook and Twitter and saying hey take down that video they're actually not right. doing that now other countries like you know Pakistan wherever um, where Twitter operates Twitter actually has a totally different policy for Pakistan and it's like this hyper censored version of of Twitter over there. Right. And a lot of the company, Google, Facebook, they all do this. They have essentially these filters for every different country with, with every different policy. And so the, they're playing these censorship games, but then in the U S where it's legal, they're, you know, it's, it's basically political pressure and social pressure, which seems to be driving these, these uh, haphazard, decisions and, and, you know, it seems like they're really, uh, scared of, of bad PR in this, in this realm. And, you know, to us, they're just handling it exactly the wrong way, you know, as opposed to saying, Hey, listen, we're going to stick to principles and, you know, here's where it goes next level. If you actually wanted to keep people safer and, you know, give people, uh, more information in regards to COVID, or um, if there's a Nazi, you know, wh- what, what are the chances of converting a Nazi away from Nazism? If you ban them, actually zero, you probably, will never probably u- very
0: near zero. Yeah.
1: Yes. Very near zero. Um, the number of Nazis who have said, Oh, I just got banned from Twitter. I was I'm wrong. done. Right.
0: I, I was wrong. Yeah. I am no, no. longer racist.
1: Yeah, I'm no longer it. And, you know, the number of people who got banned for COVID
0: uh, posts, guess what? Do you think that they're going to go deeper into COVID conspiracies? Yep. Sure. I mean, it confirms what they might have suspected. If anything, if they're being censored, they must think, well, why are they censoring this? Well, I must be onto something here.
1: There you go. So I think what we're trying to build is more of a uh, decentralized ranking system for, I think, because facts matter, um, quality of information matters, truth matters. It's not our job to dictate that, but what we're, we're trying to build tools to enable the community to build different reputation and credentials in different areas. And, you know, with that and different voting mechanisms, you can basically build webs of trust around users and content. It's not like a centralized Chinese social credit score, but it, it it gives users the option to be able to look at a user or, or content that they're interacting with and have sort of this metadata around the post to be able to make more of an informed decision about it. Um, And it's, maybe that super sounds super complicated probably does but well, it, I was going
0: to say most of my listeners yeah. are pretty smart so most of them probably have you know, know exactly what you're talking about but I'm not as smart as them so maybe if you can just explain it like I'm five like I have no idea what open source means like I have no idea what metadata is how for the actual end user because I think most people that use Facebook or Twitter right now they're just using it they're not thinking about the mechanics of it they're not thinking about if it's open source or not they're not right. thinking about any of this stuff now some people might and if they start to get their post censored they might start thinking about things a little bit differently but why should like the average user the person who's just kind of toiling away on Twitter and Facebook right now, why should that sort of person hop over to, to minds? Because they're going to be handling things in a different way.
1: Well, first of all, from just like a raw, you know, primal human nature perspective, uh, you, you will get more visibility on your posts on minds than on Facebook because everybody's right. likes are going down on right. Instagram well, yeah. and have, Twitter and Facebook. That. <laughs> so that is something that no matter who you are, whether you're posting memes or selfies or you know, conspiracy theories or real news, you know, everybody cares about their engagement because, and and the fact that Facebook is restricting organic reach is, you know, that's a huge betrayal of the community. And, you know, all the big networks are doing this now. So number one, I would say that's why it's like, even though we have a few million users, we're a fraction of the size. If you sign up, you'll start earning tokens. You can use those tokens to boost your posts for more views, one token will give you a thousand extra views on your content. Um, so we've kind of gamified it and you'll get, you'll get more exposure for this, for the smaller to medium sized creators. Um, we're, you know, for for the bigger creators, that's where we really have to, you know, step up and, and provide like competitive monetization and competitive um, functionality to, to incentivize all the influencers to move over. But I think that, it's yeah. Yeah. Like all the philosophical stuff, all of the, the transparency, the encryption, the, you know, fact, the decentralized fact checking or whatnot, that is more abstract and not necessarily as relevant to as many people. But I think that sort of in the back of everybody's mind, you know, they probably hear chatter of, of all the nonsense going on in Facebook and like, you know, they're not going to make big life changes, proactive life changes to go protect their privacy, but it's like, if we can get big enough and some others in the space can get big enough to provide, you know, an alternative, I think it'll reach a point where people are like, yeah, you know,
0: yeah, I do kind of want that. Like, And as long as it's easy, yeah, I'll do it. How would it work on a platform like mine if people are concerned about, say, conspiracy theories or false information? I know you have this sort of reward system with the tokens. So, I mean, is this the kind of thing where just good content is going to be rewarded by more people kind of offering their own tokens up? Uh, Is it sort of like a a, a natural market way to not censor content, but reward the better content? Typically, yeah,
1: that's what we're trying to achieve. Um, And that has been the case recently. We've been experiencing some... um, some more gaming, you know, people trying to, you know, ev- you know, everyone goes and votes on each other's posts and they right. try it. yeah. But like, that's going to happen. That happens on Reddit. That happens sure. every- that.
0: Go ahead. I said, Jerry, I mean, we do the same thing on this podcast, you know, go over and go, go give us some likes, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's, right. what, it's what everybody's going to do if they self-promote.
1: Exactly. And so you, we need to basically, fun- but w- what I'm talking about is, is a little bit more coordinated than what, what you're referring to. Um, and so we're, that's why we haven't built this decentralized reputation system yet, but that's really what we're going towards. I think that that's really essential in the future of social media and, and having the community help curate, um, in a way that rewards, um, accurate and relevant content as opposed to like clickbait and, um, you know, spam, and, like, because, you know, people, it's all the oldest tricks in the book. You know, people post a meme under the wrong hashtag because they see that hashtag's trending. And there's, there's, there's just all these different manipulation techniques that, that people use. And look, they're just doing what they can to get exposure on their content. And I don't blame them for it. If you provide a system that enables that behavior, then you actually, I actually, in some way, thank the people who are trying
0: to game our system because they show us how to evolve. Right, right. You're not just letting the system be gamed. It shows you, okay, we have a little flaw here that we need to go in and fix. Uh, right. Whereas Facebook and Twitter are, are just taking a blanket approach to things. Why is it that Facebook and Twitter, as you mentioned earlier, are or maybe just Facebook specifically, are suppressing organic reach and organic traffic? Is, the, is it because they just want to funnel everybody right into paying for advertising to, to boost their posts? That for sure. Um, and they also just think
1: that they know what you want to engage with more than you, (laughs) which maybe they do, but that is, I actually know I reject the
0: algorithms know what we want to see
1: the algorithms. know, And I think that the algorithms can provide valuable suggestions. So I'm not like anti algorithm, but I don't think that algorithm should be default. I think by default, you should have reverse chronological. And then from there, users should have the control to kind of build feeds in the way or toggle over into alternative feeds. But the problem, what the biggest issue with like Facebook is that all these companies, probably, you know, yourself and, and millions of others, even mainstream media built these pages, built up, you know, million followers. Then suddenly, you know, the reach goes down from like 50% organic to like 5% organic. Right. Yeah. Well, these followers. Now
0: you can't do anything with them.
1: Now you can't do anything with them. It's like, well, why did I just spend five years here? Are you joking me? Like, this is like, that is some, something that if, if if you had a relationship with somebody and they, they made that kind of a bait and switch on you, like you would like leave them. (laughs) That's like, but, but we're so addicted and everybody is dependent. And so that, but that's exactly what they did. Right, they, they they got us addicted to the
0: clicks and the likes.
1: They got us addicted. They knew that we needed that reach, and then as soon, so so they they put the bait out with the reach. They brought everyone in, you know, got a hundred million users, and then slowly just started to take it away. And then
0: it's like a reverse uh, reverse crack dealer. They got us hooked, and now they're <laughs> just, now they're just removing it slowly from us. So we just come come back begging for more and more.
1: Yeah no yeah they're not they're they're not trying to and they're not trying to wean us off in a healthy way they're trying to do some yeah it is a reverse crack dealer that's a that that would be that, that's a good title for a for an article uh how how Facebook is a reverse crack deal.
0: <laughs> I give you permission to use it if you like, or I'll maybe I'll do my own thing with it. Okay, way. yeah. I think it's something worth worth pegging. It'd be a good title for this interview.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: that is actually, I think I will do that. Um, Bill, I, I want to talk a little bit. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about some of the censorship in regards to COVID uh, on social media specifically, but I, I want to get into your your thoughts on COVID itself and just what we've seen in the reporting of it. Uh, I know so many people that have very strong opinions on this thing, and you can pretty much peg them unless they're libertarian, and you don't know exactly what you're going to get, but you can pretty much peg if someone is anti-Trump or pro-Trump or Anti Biden or pro Biden, you can pretty much tell what side they're on based on what you think you should do with this virus. Uh, mm. What are your thoughts on how we got here? And maybe it's all related to to how Facebook and Twitter have sort of turned us into turned us into such reactionary creatures, where everything is an instant reaction, and uh, mm. that has really expressed itself in politics and in now in how this virus is looked at. But what are your thoughts on, wh- on what we're seeing of of people's reaction to this virus and, and how it's kind of responding to the way it's reported politically? I mean, I reject
1: the notion that a virus can be fully politicized like i'm not going to fall into the trap of saying that like everyone who's wearing a mask is left and everyone who's like anti-mask is is right like that is so such low level thinking and i'm just not gonna to cave i think that you know viruses are serious and you know, masks aren't even a new global phenomenon. I mean, they've been going on in other countries for a long time. I think that, you know, we know that masks work to a certain degree. I also think that there's so much BS with regard, I mean, okay, walking into a restaurant with the mask on and then sitting down and taking it, it's like, look, I'm not not putting on a show here. Like this is like, you either are gonna, with good faith, like wear a mask when, you know, you're in close proximity to people, like, And, you know, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to wear the mask in my car to like signal anything. Like it's, it's just,
0: (laughs) I went out here in uh, Los Angeles. They have some places that are open if they have outside dining patios and it's so silly. You'll, you'll come up and you'll have your, have you have your max mask on, then you can walk literally three feet away, sit down and take it off and talk to the same waitress you're just talking to that brought you over there. And it's kind of this thing where every single person kind of knows that part's a show. Uh, I mean, certainly like being in a plane or, you know, grocery shopping, I mean, I understand sure. why people want to wear masks in those those situations, but yep. th- this kind of kind of halfway thing where we sort of wear it for a second, so we all agree we're wearing it, but then we're actually not. It just seems so silly to me.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I also think that, you know, requiring masks is, you know, that's another level that I don't think is actually necessary. If you look at the country, you know, the world's reaction, I think that most people are happy to do it because they know that it helps out. And I, I don't think that, you know, if if certain people like don't want to, I don't think the numbers of people who are like 100% protesting are so severe that like we would need legislation to, to mandate masks. I don't, you know, mandating that stuff. It doesn't seem necessary. I don't know. Um, what do you think?
0: Well, I I don't think that mandates help because ultimately a mandate is going to have to be backed by force. And if you're going to throw someone in in a prison where presumably there's a lot of other people around uh, in response to them not wearing a mask, it kind of seems like we're going in the the wrong direction there. I mean, there was a case out in Los Angeles a couple of months ago where a guy was just paddleboarding off the coast. And of course, without a mask, because he's in the middle of the ocean. uh, And he these two officers just you know, pulled him out uh, came up on a boat, took him out of the water they weren't wearing masks either so now he's gone from being completely alone out in the ocean clearly nowhere near infecting anybody with anything and now he's next to these two officers everyone without masks, presumably going to a jailhouse with more people inside of it without masks so he's gone from a clearly right. safe situation to a clearly dangerous situation but I think that's that's the problem with any kind of government mandate for anything is there's really ultimately only one way to back it up and that's by brute force, that's by take, making an example of the guy that's clearly not harming anyone because well right or wrong he's breaking the rule so we have to enforce the rule equally
1: yeah completely i think that you know a lot of this stuff you know even if you were a talented fiction novel dystopian fiction novel writer you know you would struggle to come up with some of the stuff that is happening right now so it's uh it's good material if if that's what you're doing but i feel like there should be a lot more effort going towards you know actual Open public debate and peer review around whatever issue it is. Like it could be COVID, it could be mail in voter fraud, you know, all, all of these issues.
0: The open source just, philosophy should be applied in, in all areas, essentially.
1: Yeah, yeah. Give every topic the ability for a normal person to go in and, you know, see educated debate on both sides. And the the problem is that right now it's it's starting to turn into a situation where even educated people on the contrarian end of the conversation are getting boxed out, and, you know, that's really dangerous. Like, now that, you know, we're starting to see, you know, Harvard professors who, you know, aren't going to, um, you know, they, they have certain research around evolutionary biology that they don't want to, you know, They're not just going to change their life's work because, you know, someone's telling them to who's yelling, like banging on their door. Like, I think that we just need we need to level up the, 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 the discourse and and
0: be a little bit more mature. Hey there, kitty cats. I've got to take a quick time out now to tell you about another podcast. Another podcast hosted by me, yours truly, Mark Clare, along with fellow Libertarian podcaster Remzo W. Martinez. But this is not a Libertarian podcast. This is a comic book review podcast. This is called the Second Print Comics Podcast, where myself and young Remzo will be diving into our favorite comic book characters, storylines, movies, and so much more. Join us on this whimsical journey as myself and my fellow lions dive into pop culture. I'm sure many of you know that Brian, Odie, and Rico have started the Bravo and Beer podcast as they dive into Trash TV. Well, Remzo and myself are diving into the world of comic books, an area that I have been passionate about for so long, but I've kept it at the hip, I've kept it inside, but just like my libertarianism has come out here at the Lions of Liberty podcast, my love of comic books will be coming out on the second Print Comics podcast. It launched which is this Wednesday, August 5th, 2020, just two days before my 40th birthday. So that's the only gift I want from you guys. Go ahead and subscribe to the Second Print Comics Podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify. You know how this works, guys. Everywhere you find podcasts, you can also follow us on social media just about everywhere at Second Pod. Remzo and myself look forward to you joining us on this journey into mystery. Uh, One thing I want to get into a little bit, obviously, COVID sent a lot of people home from work. Uh, COVID sent a lot of people who could have done their work at home before, probably, but you know these companies have offices. They've they've got they've leased a bunch of space, so they're going to use it. How do you think COVID and just I I mean I think we're seeing this trend anyway because of technology. Uh, we're going to see a lot of people moving to jobs that are either out of an office or are um, you know more kind of um, you know are done done automatically by robots and machines and that sort of thing. But COVID has really taken these things that were already in the works and push it right to the forefront. Push it from maybe we'll do this in the future to now this is what's happening. Mm. So how do you think this is going to affect kind of just the way work is looked at in general? I mean, I think for, for so many decades now, work is seen as this thing you do where you get in the car, you drive to a place, you put in 40 hours of, of work, you come back home every night uh, and you do it all again. How is this response and this sort of Hyperization of so, some trends that were already occurring. How is this changing this, the way we're looking at work in general?
1: Oh, I like the word hyperization. I'm yeah, going to start made using that one up. too. <laughs> no, that, that's, that, that's very Full useful. Full of new uh, ideas today.
0: <laughs> the first crack dealer, hyperization. I mean, the, coffee, the coffee's working today, Bill.
1: So, I mean, yeah, so it's sort of a blessing in disguise. Um, you know, a lot of people wouldn't. Agree with that, and I think it's it's horrible what has happened to so many legit businesses, uh, restaurants. You know that were probably killing it pre COVID, and then just you know, or the event industry. I mean, we were even going to be putting on a, a really big event in uh, a uh, undisclosed location in New York City, and it you know the Broadway shut down for indefinitely. Crazy. I mean, that's, that's, that's a whole industry. So for the whole food industry, the, the, the live event industry, I mean, that sucks basically. It's just really unfortunate, but it, yeah, it forces people to find independent revenue streams. That's why that's what, that's honestly what we're working nonstop to achieve. Like we built these monetization tools. Anyone can like connect their bank account, sign up for mines. You'll start getting rewards you know, there's, there's more monetization available for upgraded accounts. And we're really working on this like radical revenue sharing to help creators, um, independent brands make money doing what they want to do. And, you know, that's why, you know, the sharing economy is super powerful. Crypto, obviously super powerful. And it's, it's been the best thing, you know, of the last 10 years of my life to be able to work for myself and, you know, start a business and help other people achieve that as well. So, you know, who wants a job, but some people have to have a job. So, you know, but we're, we're trying to make that the ability for, uh, you know, anyone to put, put their content up there and, and earn for it. That's definitely where the internet is going and social networks are going to be ultimately, I think users are going to start demanding, probably based on these kind of financial
0: necessities that the big networks pay for them to be there. Otherwise, why, why would you be there? How does cryptocurrency uh, play into this trend of actually enabling people uh, to be, be more independent? Obviously, it, it, removing them from the government money system uh, is helpful. But at this point, I think still most of the people I know that own Bitcoin or talk about cryptocurrency are still sort of libertarian anarchist type nerds who are really into this stuff. When or if, does it anyway, when does cryptocurrency move from something that you know, people in the fringes are, are still kind of using to people where you know my dad's actually using cryptocurrency, which you know, is something that blows my mind, but he just sent me a started texting recently. So that, that's progress. Maybe he'll be using Bitcoin someday, too. Nice.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny that this question keeps coming up. And I know about why you're asking it, because it's, it's not fully mainstream yet. But, you know, as we speak, one Bitcoin is $10,937. Um, you know, only a handful of years ago, it was $1. So, the fact that that has occurred is shocking. You know, the price is, it's still obviously volatile. It's not something you should really invest in, in a way that is going to compromise you. But, you know, to me participating in cryptocurrency, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or, you know, all of the, the really cool new infrastructure projects, it's that it is a fully decentralized autonomous uncorruptible cryptographically secure ledger that no central authority can can mess with um and if you just look a, a lot of the economic woes are totally rooted in the corruption of central banks so you know it's not to say that everything is going to move to bitcoin um but i do foresee a world where, you know, cryptocurrency and fiat currency are, are, you know, level and, you know, both, both systems are happening at the same time. So, you know, there's a, there's a cool book, uh, Bitcoin in black America, uh, that just came out and it, you know, I, 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 hear what you're saying. It's true that like sort of the crypto libertarians are, are probably more involved in, in Bitcoin and whatnot right now, but, there's really good arguments for marginalized communities um, and more, you know, poverty stricken countries to get involved with Bitcoin because it really is a way out of corrupt financial systems, and participating early uh, is potentially a way to to gain wealth. Um, so again, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, tell anyone to invest. Necessarily, but
0: but certainly telling someone to hold dollars would be equally equally but would be definitely be bad. There advice, you go. You know? So I mean,
1: yeah, that's the thing. It's like, why are you know people are like, oh, I don't understand Bitcoin. Uh, well, it's like, do you understand the dollar? <laughs> exactly. I mean, the the Bitcoin is actually a, in in some ways, once you read the the white paper, is way easier to understand. It's it's it's, it's computers all over the world that are earning in order to run the ledger and, 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 and keep the network secure. So, you know, it's, it, it, can't go down. So, um, and, and your money is on your own wallet on your own device. Now, one of the issues is that if you lose your keys, like you That's lose your That's what I'm always
0: afraid of. Cause I lose yeah. everything. So, I, I mean, <laughs> the idea of, of losing a little piece of information doesn't, seems pretty scary to me. So, but I, I haven't done it yet.
1: There are certain, you know, you can use third parties to store your your crypto in which if you lose your keys, you can get it. But there's major risks with, you know, keeping your uh, tokens with Coinbase or something like that, because if they get hacked, then you're, you're at risk. So you kind of have to weigh, you know, who's more likely to get hacked, me or the exchange. Um, you know, so a, a lot of people probably uh, me with my,
0: where I use the internet, but
1: I mean, honestly, and and I think that's why we're seeing that Coinbase is, is being so successful right now because they just do make it so easy to get crypto and, and hold it. And so, yeah, I just, uh, and, and, you know, we've Ethereum is different from Bitcoin in that you can build smart contracts on top of Ethereum and basically, program to, to do anything you want. And you can write transactions to Ethereum um, for, you know, what, whatever use case you could think of. I mean, there's people running solar grids on top of Ethereum. There's people running, you know, we we put like advertising uh, transactions onto Ethereum. But yeah, man, I mean, I just think it's, it's really exciting. Uh, the fact that a legitimate alternative exists to global finance, that's insane.
0: One more thing I want to get your thought on in regards to cryptocurrency, and this is something I've heard floated around by various people who are either anarchists or favor sort of decentralized government. But that's using cryptocurrency, or I shouldn't say cryptocurrency, using blockchain technology mm-hmm. uh, to sort of run a government in a sense. It wouldn't be yeah. uh, the same way a government's run now. I'm not sorry. Is that a concept you've ever put thought into or that you've heard about? Yeah,
1: I mean, we're trying to implement some of those ideas in the, like the microcosm of, of our network. There's a, there's a tool called a DAO. Which is a decentralized autonomous organization, and there's really cool companies like uh, Aragon that enable you to create your own DAO. And essentially, what it is is you know the participants, the holders of, of the token. Um, you know, say, say you say you set up a DAO for the USA. Every citizen would have you know tokens, and they would be able to vote uh, with their tokens on on different measures, and you know the smart contracts would you know, allocate resources automatically without a middleman based on the voting of the community. And there there are actually some incredible successful DAOs operating. There have been some huge fails. There have been some DAOs that have been hacked. It's very experimental. Um, but, you know, I think that that is incredible that, that that's happening as well. So um, why would we have excess Middlemen. If we if we don't need them,
0: take out the middleman. Take out the reverse crack dealers all over the places. What, mm. what we really need to be doing, Bill, just go so,
1: straight okay. to the source. <laughs> exactly.
0: Get your cracked directly. Go to Colombia. <laughs> yeah. Okay, directly from the springs uh bill thanks so much for coming on today it's been a blast talking to you uh before i let you go i want to give you a chance to uh plug away on anything else you've got going on obviously mines is is uh, you know your big project here that we want to try to send people to i just created a mines account the other day so i'm dipping my toe in there i'm gonna see what i can do on mines myself uh but feel free to you know promote mines and i'll plug away on any other projects you got in the works
1: nice what's your uh username what is my
0: username it's a great question
1: uh, my username I'll find is out while
0: you, uh, while you, while you tee this up.
1: Cool. Yeah. Anyone uh, feel free to hit me up. Uh, minds.com slash opman. That's where I'm at. You can message me. I'm there. And, uh, yeah, I have, uh, relinquished my other social networks, uh, because I felt like I would just be way too much of a hypocrite if I, if I kept doing it and I, it feels great to be honest. It's, it's much more focused. You, you know, to me, it's like if I can't even use my own product, if, if our team can't, why would anyone else? So it's like getting rid of the, all that other noise and just focusing on our own product and, and making it usable from like a professional perspective is, uh, you know, it's not easy, but it's, it's definitely helping.
0: Well, my mind's new username is mark8780, M A R C 8780, my birthday8780, uh, which is very soon, by the way, listeners. One great way to uh, give me a little birthday present would be to have her to mind's and give me a little follow over there and follow Bill while you're at it as well. Uh, Bill, thanks once again for coming on the show. It's been a blast talking to you. Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Cheers, man. Rock on. All right, kitty cats. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Bill Ottman of Mines. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that always wants the alternative to social media. I always talk about it. The alternatives to, you know, Facebook, Twitter, etc. And then I'm too lazy to start the account. So this interview with Bill put me into action. I wanted to have a Mines account before I spoke to him. So I did start that account. And my first post on Mines will be this interview with Bill Ottman. It seems appropriate. And Bill was nice enough to toss me a couple tokens, a couple coins to welcome me over to Mines. So it's really interesting. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to dive. In. I'm going to experiment with some posting over there, so maybe you guys will too. Again, my username is Mark8780. Someone else I want to mention is a fan of this show, one of our Patreon supporters. His name is Anthony. I will not say his full name just in case uh, he does not want that revealed. But I do want to thank Anthony because he recently upgraded his Patreon membership, his membership in the Lions of Liberty Pride that pays for this show, that helps us get new computers like we've needed for so long that we are finally getting right now, thanks to the Lions of Liberty Pride. He upgraded his membership to the Aslan level, where he gets to mention anything he wants on the show and he wanted to use that spot for us to mention our other podcasts outside of here that we have started. So thank you to Anthony who's not only paying us money, he's paying us money to promote our own shows in other venues. So that's really kind of Anthony. So that's why you've heard uh, Brian talking about, about Bravo and beer a bit on Electric Liberty Land and why I have mentioned today the Second Print Comics Podcast. Thank you to Anthony for encouraging us, not just here at Lions of Liberty and for supporting us. Anthony is actually our first patron at the Second Print Comics Podcast as well. You can find that Patreon at patreon.com slash Pod. I'm really looking forward to the launch of this second podcast. A very appropriate way to start my 40s by launching a brand new podcast adventure. So again, I do encourage you to check that out. Of course, check out the Lions of Liberty Patreon. Join that Lions of Liberty pride by heading over to Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Do not forget 10% of the proceeds from our Patreon are going to our friends at Donorsea and their fight to help people affected by lockdowns, economic lockdowns all across the third world. Find out more about the great work they're doing in this venture over at donorsea.com slash coronavirus. That is where we are picking projects out to fund with that Patreon money. So again, that is patreon.com slash lions of liberty for all of our bonus content. If you missed Brian McWilliams, extra bonus drunken electric Liberty Land last week. My friends, I tell you that is worth $5 a month by itself. Frankly, it's worth probably $100 a month to be honest with you because it is a blast and we do so much extra content. Degenerate Gamblers has made its return with the return of baseball. We also have Conspiracy Corner where I'm joined by Howie, JB, and Rico. The voices you only hear on the main feed sometimes, but in the Patreon feed, you get these voices all the time and we are always having fun there. So many of people actually tell us they actually listen to this podcast more for the Patreon content than even the main content you get here at Lions Liberty. So if you even enjoy the three shows you get every single week from us, not just me every single Monday with the flagship program, but of course Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty, and John Odie Odermatt every single Friday with his hard-hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. If you enjoy these three weekly free shows... All you got to do is hit that subscribe button and you get them all delivered right to your podcast app of choice. If you enjoy those shows for free, my lord, you are going to really enjoy the content that we have over on the Patreon. So I encourage you to check that out at patreon.com slash Liberty. Until next time, my friends. Live long and live free.